When it comes to streaming services, you've got a lot to choose from these days, from the giants like Netflix, Hulu, and HBO, to smaller platforms that cater to more niche audiences. For example, have you found the streaming service Tubi yet? It's become a go-to for fans and producers of independent black cinema. On limited budgets, creators are pumping out independent movies and shows that audiences will keep coming back for. When I took a deeper dive into it, I was noticing a lot of these films are actually filmed out of Detroit. Oh yes, you heard that right. It's not L.A. or New York or even Atlanta emerging as the, quote, to-be capital. It's Detroit. This is Stateside. I'm April Dare. Journalist Phil Lewis, a Detroit native and senior front page editor at HuffPost, recently wrote about the Detroit Tubi connection for his Substack. And he says the service, which is ad-supported, has become a hub for indie creators, in particular black filmmakers, in part just because it has been available to black filmmakers. From what I'm, I was told by the filmmakers I spoke to for the, for the piece is that uh, they actually are looking to create a platform for diverse voices to to share their work and their stories. Uh, and it's it's from what I was told, it's it's easier to sort of get their film on, on Tubi as opposed to maybe a Netflix or Amazon Prime or these these other streaming these other streaming platforms. Tubi will contract someone to go out and find these these stories and these these films and then they can get them up on their platform. And it, it, it seems to be an easier process for filmmakers and everyone all around to to get these films up. As you were finding out more about Tubi for what you wrote, I mean, was it always welcoming to Black creators, or did that come a little bit later after the audience found the space? Uh, so I think it's always been welcoming, uh, but Tubi, people have just sort of gravitated toward it because they saw that there was uh, there, there were films that people were uploading and, and filming that actually relate that were relatable right uh, and so i think that people started to watch because it was free and then they realized like oh wait there are there are movies on here that are actually similar to like like films that we would want to watch and films that we find interesting that aren't aren't necessarily blockbusters or um you know massive kind of like huge hit films uh there there there's a a huge audience uh, of people that are interested in sort of these quote-unquote low-budget films um, that, you know, hey, I have a free time on my Saturday night. I can watch a a free film and, and, you know, I don't have to go to the movies and pay $30 for, you know, a ticket and some popcorn and all that. I can just watch movies that I find interesting uh, from my my TV. Yeah. You wrote about how Detroit has has become the de facto to-be capital. What did you mean by that? Yeah, so I, I was actually encouraged to to write this story because I I kept seeing a lot of uh, my friends and and just moviegoers in general constantly talking about Tubi, and even though they were they were kind of joking about sort of like the quality of the Tubi film because they are not they're not necessarily made on these massive budgets. Uh, I think that there was something to the fact that there are people really enjoying these films, and when I took a deeper dive into it. I was noticing a lot of these films are actually filmed out of Detroit. Um, They're produced uh, by folks in Detroit. A lot of it is just stems from uh, the Motor City. So it was really kind of interesting to talk with 
uh, Travis Grant, for example, who he is, he's an independent film critic and he's the host of the Big Trav and Hollywood show. He is probably one of the, the few film critics that's really heavily looking into Tubi films. Um, and he was just like, like Tubi needs his own Detroit section. Like that's how, <laughs> that's how prominent Detroit is on, on the platform. Well, you know, it's crazy. I mean, if you just like, in addition to the filmmakers that you that you talked about in the article, I mean, if you just search to be for Detroit content, like there's just yeah. pages and pages. I mean, some of them are there's feature films here. I'm seeing a series, of course, WXYZ Action News, <laughs> like just a lot of Detroit specific content here. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the Dirty D, there's Price of Love, there's Detroit Dreams, there's all sorts of films that are uh, relevant to the Detroit experience. And uh, I mean, Detroit is, Detroit is cool. And I think the people are starting to realize this with other, other projects that are out now with uh, BMF on stars and all these other Detroit related shows that are popping up. People are starting to realize and America is starting to realize that Detroit is just cool. And so Tubi, I think is sort of capitalizing on that. When we say that Tubi is providing some actual money for the creators who post their work there, I, I'm wondering if you can if you can give us a better sense of this. I mean, a lot of folks may know that people who are who are working in the indie film space, a lot of times they'll be doing commercial work or uh, working on other people's films to make some money, and they just scratch together as much financing as they can, any way they can, to work on the projects that they really care about. Um, the the creators that you talk to, like, is this is this the kind of platform that helps them recoup some of the costs of production, or is it something that's giving people, you know, a form of material support to make the work that they care about? How much money are we talking here? So I think it's a little bit of both, but I'll just use Dennis Reed for example. He's one of the filmmakers that I talked right. to uh, for the film, and mm -hmm. he's a pretty established in the Tubi space. Um, he explained to me that one of the projects that he worked on, which was self-funded, costs about two thousand or three thousand dollars to make. Um, but the film ultimately made around seventy thousand, uh, and that's you know that's a huge <laughs> that's a huge come up for for him and, and the um, production company that he that he works with. So what he noticed is that it's it's a huge sort of like effort, a communal effort that they've built in Detroit. So you have the same sort of actors working on the same projects with each other and um, producers helping each other produce the same projects. They all kind of come together and pool resources, which helps them get their movies out and, and they're able to all make money together. And so that was a point that he really emphasized that, you know, they're putting out films for under $200,000 and they're making pretty good money on the other end. You know, uh, the thing that strikes me about what you're talking about is it's it's the kind of, you know, ecosystem that that you hear about in places like Atlanta or Vancouver, B.C., with giving people some systems of support for their work. And I mean, it's it's not that there haven't ever been film projects done in Detroit before, but it just feels like a little bit more momentum than than folks might have had in the past. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, Detroit. Detroit is is a is a popular place for these sort of to be to be filmmakers to come and uh, produce their work because it's so um, other places are so prohibitive as far as the costs that you know, living in Atlanta or LA or New York 
it's so expensive. But you come to Detroit, which is a you know Western city, obviously the rent is going up all you know nationwide, but it's it's still not quite as costly as these other cities, and so they're able to have more to work with when they're producing these these films, and it just makes more sense to move to Detroit and where there's already a a foundation, um, sort of a a foundation already set or at least being built where you can work with people to make these movies. We need to take a short break. We'll be back with Phil Lewis in just a minute. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Let's talk a little bit more about Dennis Reed, who was one of the people you talked to for this story. He's done several projects that are streaming on Tubi, including one of them called First Lady. There are actually several. He's made several features under this. And it's it's sort of a thriller with a strong female lead, a strong black female lead. He always said there's two things you don't mess with, a man's money and women. And they don't have to be in that order. Okay. So that's what I don't get. He didn't have problems with anybody. He didn't own nobody. So then why would somebody do this to him? He was all I had. I know, cuz, but you still got us. And, I mean, it's the kind of, it's the kind of movie, like, I, I, I start to see what you're saying about, like, it's a cool project, but, you know, where would he pitch this? Can you tell us a little bit more about Dennis and sort of how he found his how he found his space where he could make the kind of stories he wanted to make? Yeah, well, what Dennis really sort of wanted to hit home was that, you know, he didn't go to school for this. A lot of the people that he works with didn't go to school for this sort of thing. This this is sort of a fertile ground and an experimental ground for them to um, create content and create their movies. And Tubi is offering them a platform for people to watch. So uh, Dennis, he's been making films for uh, several several years. I, I believe about he's at least ten years in, uh, or, or more. But he's been he's kind of like how someone described him to me is like a, a Detroit's Tyler Perry of these these sorts of films, uh, because the First Lady franchise that you uh, just talked about, um, he said that it is worth over uh, about twelve million. You know, which is you're like whoa, like that's kind of a it's a lot of money for for a film that you know he may have shot on a budget totally less, <laughs> totally less than that. They didn't have people to mentor them or anything like that. They don't have the resources uh, to really create massive budget blockbusters, but they make do with what they have and they make these films anyway. Yeah, you point out that there's there's a a pretty strong tradition of black independent film. Uh, everything from People like Spike Lee, Ava DuVernay, and Issa Rae, self-funding. You know, these these are people who did not come up through what we might think of as a studio system. Uh, down to 
you know, the consumer end of things. And people just getting videos from, like, the DVD man in the neighborhood. Could you say a little bit more about the history of indie film and black creators and, and why this has, has been a thing because of, you know, by necessity? Well, it's for sure. It's for sure by necessity because we, uh, black creators, black filmmakers, over history, we've, we've, people have never um, let a lack of resources stop them from producing art that they believe needs to be seen, right? And so that's black independent film has a long tradition and that's through black exploitation in the 70s. When Foxy Brown comes to town, all the brothers gather around. You know, art house films. It seems that men are taught not to be in touch with themselves, with their true feelings, but the things that they do say. I'm everything that you need. You are tripping. These films, in particular, are meant to attract a certain, a certain audience, people who are traditionally long ignored, I would say, maybe in, in, in films, especially in more recently than ever, where we have more prestige TV than ever, or more prestige films than ever. Uh, there's a whole group of people that are just ignored, right? And it's this urban sort of black viewer that's, that's ignored. In Tubi, they see, in these Tubi films, they see kind of them, themselves or representation uh, on, on the screen. And it's, it's, it's a, a joy for people to create. Everybody I talked to for this story was delighted to kind of hear that the the reactions that these films have on others, you know, and that's that's the long that just goes back to the long history of of, of filmmaking within the black community. Tubi's black cinema section definitely has its critics, and it was interesting to read the critiques that some black women filmmakers have of what they see in the platform. Can you share a little bit about what people talk to you about? Yeah, so. Uh, one of the things about Tubi and that I've, I've noticed in some of the movies is that they can be uh, a bit graphic with uh, sexual assault. Um, some some scenes are very graphic with rape and, and other other uh, sources of sexual assault and violence. And when I spoke to one filmmaker, Nadia Calhoun, who's a director in Detroit, she's coming out with a, a film, uh, I Love You More, pretty soon on Tubi. Uh, she's pretty much just over all of the the violence, the guns, robbery, and she wants to produce films that'll uplift. And one of the things that you'll notice on, on Tubi is that a lot of the films are, are made by are made by men, um, which is, you know, that's not just a Tubi problem, that's an industry-wide problem. Right. Um, and so there are women who are looking to create uh, films on Tubi and and maybe make them a little a little different from sort of the average film that we see on Tubi, which, you know, has gratuitous violence and, and sex and all this. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things that that your essay got me thinking about is just what we even mean by low budget anymore. You could you could definitely make the case that TikTok is its own its own kind of form. I mean, I don't know a lot of people who are doing a seventy thousand dollar TikTok, but it is <laughs> it is a space where creatives of all kind have have been able to stretch their wings a little bit. And I do wonder, you know, generationally, how many people are going to move from socials into Tubi, or you know, have already made that leap. I mean, what what do we even mean by a low budget film anymore? That's a good question. I mean, everyone I spoke to for this piece sort of bristled at the idea of low budget, um, but I, I I try to contend that low budget isn't necessarily a bad thing, and I think that we 
when we think about low budget films in retrospect, you know, a low budget film was Friday, right. Um, which costs ice cube 2 million to, to make. And it was shot in like, a, like two weeks, <laughs> you know, that was a, that was a low budget film it was $2 million, which is, you know, that's, that's still pretty expensive. I, I don't have $2 million in my pocket, but that's a low budget film. And when you compare it to the other films of, of, kind of like that time right so like titanic was like this massive hit right but a low budget film uh at least described to me by dennis dennis reed was is you know, a movie that's made by for less than five million um and you know you can make a good well thought out produced film as he as he and his sort of contemporaries have shown on a budget of two hundred thousand dollars she's got a habit was shot on a budget of uh one hundred seventy five thousand dollars than the Spike Lee's film. So um, I, I try to push back on the, the low budget. And I, th- I, think in, I think even in the Black community, um, when we say low budget, um, we don't necessarily mean it as a pejorative. Um, sometimes we just mean it as we don't have the resources to put together a, a massive blockbuster. One of the things that I think makes Tubi such an amazing place to browse around is it's all there. I mean, you've got really pretty good-looking stuff that people obviously took their time making and really put some craft into it, as well as stuff that is so bonkers and was like, was like made in a day, maybe. Um, and it's, it, it's just kind of, I love the variety of it. But if somebody's just getting started there, um, what's a, where's a good place to begin? Oh, great question! Because you can, you never really know what you're going to get. Some some films are are pretty quality. Like they could they could be on other streaming platforms, and then you have some films that are, um, you know, a little less quality, but but still actually a bit enjoyable. You know, a bit enjoyable and have really interesting stories. Um, and so one of the one of the movies that I talk about in in the piece is Tiffany the Doll, which is. <laughs> um, it's it's a really it's a it's a really interesting concept, but obviously you can see that uh, the the editing and sort of the maybe direction of the, the film is a little all over the place. But it's still a entertaining story. For the uninitiated, this is sort of a, a horror short, uh, and the the sort of the big bad in this film is a sex a sex doll. A doll like this will last you a lifetime that any man or working woman can afford. Lady, how much the doll cost? This doll will cost you $10,000. 10000 When I read about it, I was like, oh, okay, it's like Megan, which is in the theaters right now, except it's a different kind of doll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, d- definitely a different kind of doll. Yeah. So, but, they, but I mean, people enjoy it. People are enjoying these, these films, despite uh, the fact that they don't have millions to throw at production right so um i mean they're they're a vast majority of movies to check out on tubi um i would just tell people just yeah black cinema just watch watch a couple and, and see what you think and that's the stateside podcast i'm april bear you can find full stateside episodes at michiganradio.org today's podcast was produced by april van buren other producers on our show are mike blank ronia Kabansag, and mercedes mejia our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so much for listening today. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye.
Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.